Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for magic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and this episode is coming out months later than I had intended. I apologize for that. The special tribute episode to Prince, as well as the J.L. May crossover episode, really threw off my schedule with regards to updating Black Canary episodes, you know, as did my other podcasting duties. But the Black Canary series that began in 2015 by writer Brennan Fletcher and artists Annie Wu, as well as some other people, has ended. Issue 12, the last part of the series, came out last week, and a new saga for Black Canary has already begun in Green Arrow Rebirth. I don't know how much coverage I'm going to give to Green Arrow and Batgirl and the Birds of Prey on future episodes, I just can't commit to being that timely. I'm three issues behind on this Black Canary series, and if the Rebirth books are double shipping, who knows how far behind I'll slip. I will say for now, I loved Green Arrow Rebirth. I've read the DC Universe Rebirth special, I read Green Arrow, Green Lanterns, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and The Flash, and of all eight of those books, Green Arrow was my favorite, and that shocked me. I read it just to see Black Canary's part in the book. I wasn't expecting much, but I loved it. The art was terrific, and the story was a really good done-in-one. Ali is a crusader for social justice again in a way that kind of makes sense and doesn't feel preachy, and the sexual tension between Ali and Dinah was fantastic. I haven't felt the desire between those two in... Well, maybe ever. I've said before, I don't particularly like them as a couple, but this series might change my mind. Mad props to the creative team of Benjamin Percy and Otto Schmidt. Keep up the great work, please. Of course, it's possible that the Black Canary in the Rebirth books is actually a cyborg, or a clone, or an alien imposter. We won't know that for sure until we finish talking about the no longer current Black Canary series. There are three issues left. I'm going to cover issues 10 and 11 on this episode, and we'll get started with that right after this promotional break. Don't go away. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. 
Through the magic of the JLA Transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA Cover Month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. Issue 10, titled Deep Cuts, is written by Brendan Fletcher. Moritat, the artist on Issue 9, did the art for the first six pages. The other 14 were drawn by Sandy Jarrell, the artist from Issue 8. Annie Wu provided the cover, and as always, the book was colored by Lee Loffridge, lettered by Steve Wands, and edited by Dave Wilgoss, Chris Conroy, and Mark Doyle. Dinah Lance, the lead singer for Black Canary, has returned to Gotham City, specifically the Burnside District where her old friend Barbara Gordon operates as Batgirl. Babs is a full-on fan of Black Canary, proudly showing off a band t-shirt and gushing over YouTube videos of live performances where Dinah leaps off the stage to beat up some would-be assailants while still keeping time with the band and not missing a note. But Dinah hasn't come to Barbara to talk about her band. She needs help, and admitting that doesn't come naturally to Dinah, so she's feeling pretty frustrated, and that makes her want to punch something. So Dinah and Batgirl go out to fight some crime. They stop a record store robbery from some costumed geek named Mad Wax, who surrenders his entire crew when Batgirl threatens to ruin a rare pressing of Texas Ghost by the Pardoners. I guess if you're a music aficionado, that's a big deal. In fact, Mad Wax is such a music lover that he recognizes Dinah as Dee Dee, the lead singer of Black Canary, and asks her to sign the bruises she gave his face while thwarting the robbery. After the cops come from Mad Wax, Dinah asks Batgirl to help investigating the disappearance of her mother nearly 20 years ago. See, Babs has an eidetic memory, sometimes referred to as a photographic memory, and it's that memory that Dinah needs to start digging into her past. All of Dinah's worldly possessions, including the only photograph of her mother, were destroyed some time ago when her home-slash-dojo was firebombed. But Babs saw that picture at least once when they were working together as the Birds of Prey. 
Batgirl goes deep into her memory and recovers the picture. It's a photo of Dinah's mother, Dinah Drake, and Barbara notes the commonality that both she and Dinah were named after their mothers. But Dinah Drake isn't alone in the photo. There are four other women with her. This jibes with what Dinah Lance's Aunt Rena, who may or may not be legit and may or may not be the leader of a deadly ninja cult, by the way, told Dinah about her mother starting a martial arts school with four other women. Barbara reads the names of the other women in the photo. Two of them have recently been murdered by the same ninja cult that wants Dinah's mother's secret technique, the Five Heavens Palm. One of the other women is Sandra McCanleys, the manager for Marie McCabe, better known as Vixen, who was also captured by the ninja cult in Berlin and escaped with the help of Dinah back in issue 8. The last name is Judy Slade. They don't know who she is, but Babs puts her friend Frankie on the job of tracking her down. The only other lead they get from the old photo is the name of a music studio where the picture was taken, Lodger Studios. Hey, from a 20-year-old photo that burned in a fire 18 months ago, they pulled a lot of names and information from that. The next night, Dinah and Batgirl go to Lodger Studios, which happens to be in Burnside. Apparently, the studio closed down years ago, possibly decades ago, but a private artist bought the studio and left it intact, and even beefed up the security so that the place has never been robbed or looted in all that time. I'm not going to call BS yet, but give it a minute. They discover a bunch of separate clues, and when they put all the pieces together, it looks something like this. Dinah's father was a private investigator working out of a Gotham City flower shop owned by her mother, Dinah Drake. Her dad was investigating a rock star named Isaac Arado, who has a crazy, shirtless, Iggy Pop slash David Bowie kind of vibe. To help out on the case, Dinah Drake went undercover as a dancer in Isaac's music videos. At some point, she needed help, so she called in her friends from the martial arts school. But Judy Slade, the fifth member of the group, was found murdered on the set of one of Isaac's videos. She wasn't just shot or strangled or stabbed, though. Judy had the life sucked out of her vampire style, so that all that was left was just the dried shell of a body. Around that time, Isaac Arado must have deduced who Dinah Drake was. Soon thereafter, Dinah Lance's P.I. father was found dead and her mother went missing. Okay, I'm going to scrutinize this part of the story pretty heavily when I get to the end, but for now, let's move on. Before Dinah and Batgirl can go any further in their investigation, they're attacked in the studio by Grey Eyes, last seen in issue 8, and the ninja death cultists who dress in satyr masks with goat horns and protruding tongues. Dinah and Batgirl leap into action and whoop the ninja's asses for a couple of pages, but then Grey Eyes gets the jump on Batgirl, knocking her out. She swears to Dinah that she'll kill Batgirl if Dinah doesn't reveal the Five Heavens Palm technique. Out of options, Dinah agrees to share the Five Heavens Palm, but only to Grey Eyes. The rest of the ninjas have to leave the studio. Grey Eyes agrees and sends her minions outside with the unconscious Batgirl as insurance. Grey Eyes tells Dinah that she wants to ruin her because, well, reading between the lines, basically she's jealous that Dinah's such a better fighter. And when they're alone, Dinah performs a martial arts maneuver. It's not the Five Heavens Palm, of course, because Dinah doesn't know what that is, but Grey Eyes recognizes the fake and orders her men to kill Batgirl. 
that doesn't work, naturally, because all Batgirl needed was that brief distraction to regroup and take out all of the other ninjas. Dinah demands some answers about her mother, her Aunt Rena, and the ninja cult, and she's going to beat Grey Eyes to get those answers. The two square off in battle, and Dinah wins. Grey Eyes coughs up some exposition. Years ago, Dinah Drake fought the headmistress of the ninja death cult. Dinah was hurt and used the Five Heavens Palm to defeat Grey Eyes' mistress. The move somehow broke the other woman, and now she needs the Five Heavens Palm in order to be whole again. Whatever that means. Grey Eyes, who has some electrical energy powers, supercharges herself and tells Dinah to use the Five Heavens Palm technique or she'll explode. But again, Dinah doesn't know the move, so Batgirl gets Dinah out of the studio just as Grey Eyes blows up. In the aftermath, Babs tells Dinah what most of us have already guessed, that her Aunt Rena is bad news. Dinah never heard of her until weeks ago, and she's obsessed with the Five Heavens Palm technique. Does that sound like Grey Eyes' headmistress? Yeah? The ladies go back to Babs' apartment, where Frankie drops the bomb that Dinah's bandmates, Black Canary, have gone to Berlin to play in a club that happens to be owned by Isaac Arado. Of course, it's a trap, but Dinah's going anyway to get her friends and some answers. And that ends issue 10. Alright, let me talk about the art first, because it's the easiest thing to analyze. Basically, the art is fine. There's an obvious change from Morita to Jarrell. Their styles are pretty different, but one isn't obviously better than the other, so it's not a disappointing change. In fact, I was happier with the change because Sandy Jarrell's style is more in line with Annie Wu's, so the change felt like getting back to the fundamentals of the series, even if that's not entirely accurate. I don't dislike Mortat's work, it's fun in a slightly more manga style, just slightly, but his ladies are more curvaceous. The page where Babs goes back into her memory to find the photo, the layout is kind of interesting, but it's also distracting because the main image is Batgirl and Dinah together, but Babs is sort of crouched unnaturally, and unnecessarily, like she's impersonating a cat or a bunny or something. Her cape is swept away, so it's just a big cheesecake shot of her ass, but her costume isn't designed for cheesecake shots, so I have no idea why that's even there. It's not bad art, but it just feels totally out of character. Like I said, distracting. As for the rest, I like Sandy Jarrell as an Annie Wu understudy. He gets the lines and the blocking right, but he's not as expressive, not as creative, and not as deep. Still, this chapter doesn't call for that. The fights, anyway, look pretty good. So what about the story? Well, up until this point, there have been plenty of mystery elements in this series, but this is the first chapter where we really get a detective story. Dinah and Babs have to investigate a cold case that we know virtually nothing about, and either Brendan Fletcher didn't have the time to flesh it out, or the patience. Because, dude, really? All of the evidence they need is in the control room of a music studio that's been shut up for more than 20 years? Dinah also drops new revelations about her family history that we've never heard before. In fact, up to now, we've been led to believe that she didn't know this information about her family. So what the hell? This is the worst kind of detective fiction. Our players have or receive information we didn't know they had or should not have been able to get. It strains credulity beyond belief. And I gotta call a hard BS on this investigation. 
And yet, I'm inclined to forgive the story this major sin because I like the information that Brendan Fletcher gives us, starting off with the way he characterizes Dinah in the opening pages. Dinah is uncomfortable asking Barbara for help because she doesn't like asking questions about her own past. This is a difficult personal journey for Dinah, not just because of the hard truths it may unearth, but simply because Dinah doesn't like acknowledging that there are things about herself that she doesn't know. She doesn't like losing that control. Dinah's a wear-it-all-on-your-sleeve person. Look at the way she dresses. She puts everything on the surface. She doesn't like deep secrets, especially when they're about her. And then there are the little Easter eggs we do learn in Lodger Studios. Dinah's father was a private investigator. He's never named, and I don't suppose he'd be Larry Lance, since Lance is her married name. But maybe her dad was Richard Drake, the name of Dinah Drake's pre-crisis father. So, okay, Dinah Lance has a father who was a PI working out of a florist shop that Dinah Drake owned. Cool. And he was murdered because of a case Dinah Drake was caught up in. That's also cool. Her mother, Dinah Drake, was a kung fu master who went undercover as a dancer in 1980s synth-pop music videos. Super cool. She mastered a heretofore unknown fighting technique that caused such damage to her enemy that the same technique is the only thing that can repair the damage. I have no idea what the hell that means, but it sounds cool. We also got plenty of action as Dinah and Batgirl beat up some ninja cultists, and the final showdown between Dinah and Grey Eyes. This is all stuff I really, really like. This Dinah is looking and sounding a lot more like the pre-New 52 version of Black Canary that I so love and adore. That's what I wanted more than anything from this series. So even though there's a big gaping plot hole regarding the mystery investigation in this issue, I still really enjoyed it. I liked the pieces they uncover, I liked the art well enough, and I like the sense that I know where we're going. This story has drive and a definite destination. That's awesome, because we've only got two issues left in the series. And I'm going to tell you about one of them right after this break. Stick around. Hi guys, I'm Dan Kurtzke, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Dan's Fandom. It's a show where I dive deep into anything from the world of comics, movies, anime, and video games that I find really interesting and worth talking about for an episode or two. I've done character spotlights on Batman, She-Hulk, and Korra, in-depth analysis on Man of Steel and Sword Art Online. I've taken a fair look at films like Twilight and Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles to see if they're actually that bad, and I've explored the interactive nature of video games by looking at the illusion of choice offered to the player. And I'm just getting started. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can search for Dan's Fandom in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher app. Talk to you soon. Black Canary issue 11 is called Heartful of Napalm. Brennan Fletcher wrote it, and Sandy Jarrell illustrated it, with some inking assists from Wayne Foucher on pages 16 through 20. Lee Lawfridge colored the issue, and Marilyn Patricio lettered it. Wildgaz, Conroy, and Doyle edited the thing, and Annie Wu provided the cover again. Dinah Lance has returned to Berlin to rescue her friends who comprise the band called Black Canary. From her motorcycle, Dinah watches the German goth club where Black Canary is supposedly playing. From their home in Burnside, Batgirl and her roommate Frankie monitor Dinah and warn her that the club is crawling with the satanic ninja death cultists. 
Batgirl tells Dinah that Vixen is on her way to help, and Dinah should just wait for reinforcements before walking into the trap. Smash cut two. Dinah covered in other people's blood, standing on a mountain of dead or unconscious ninjas in the middle of the street while her motorcycle burns in the background. Dinah enters the club. The employees are all part of the cult. The patrons are all decked out in black Victorian goth or leather outfits, and they stare transfixed at the stage. And on that stage is Black Canary, the band, also dressed in black leather, although the lineup is a little different than usual. Lord Byron is still on drums, and Paloma is at the keyboards as usual, but there's no sign of Ditto. Instead, the band's roadie Heathcliff holds one guitar, and the former lead singer Bo Maeve grips another. And standing center stage in front of the mic, shirtless but wearing black leather pants and a cape, proving that Dr. Mindbender isn't the only one who can rock that look, is 1980s rock star Isaac Arado. Oh, and Isaac's eyes are yellow and purple, and his teeth are all fangs. He welcomes Dinah up on the stage, telling her and the crowd that it's time for Black Canary to perform. Dinah's not interested in singing for him or anyone else. She wants to get her friends out of there. But Isaac Arado is quite persuasive. His eyes glow, and he begins singing a beguiling chant in German that hypnotizes Dinah. He commands her to sing so that she may reveal her true heart and all her secrets. Black Canary begins to perform, and the crowd of clubgoers and ninjas alike begin to dance. Until Ditto appears in the crowd. Using her special sonic deus ex machina powers, Ditto breaks the spell that holds Dinah and the band. They wake up and group hug, but Isaac still wants his song. Dinah tells the band to fight their way out of the club while she takes on Isaac. He trips a switch on the stage, dropping himself and Dinah through a trap door. Dinah arrives in a funhouse hall of mirrors. She calls out for Isaac to face her. Instead, he criticizes her, accuses her of leading her friends into danger, just like her mother, Dinah Drake, used to. Appearing and then vanishing like a shadow, Isaac slashes Dinah's arm with his impossibly sharp fingernails. He calls her blood delicious and then shows her in the mirrors images of her mother abandoning her. He recaps what we learned from last issue, that Dinah Drake was stalking Isaac Arado, and that he killed her friend Judy Slade. Then Dinah Drake hurt Isaac, hurt him bad using the Five Heavens Palm. He shows Dinah Lance a version of himself that is endless black, but the image is cracked, like the mirror is almost shattered. This is what the Five Heavens Palm did to him, nearly killed him, and now he needs that power again to fix the damage, to heal himself. To goad Dinah Lance into using her powers, Isaac reveals how he murdered her father. He actually shows her in the mirror the sight of him attacking her dad as a monstrous shadow, drinking his blood. Dinah screams and the mirror cracks, revealing Isaac Arado, who, just in case you weren't following this part, is not human. He's a demon. He attacks her with his lower half flowing like a snake's tail, and his chest cavity opens up as a giant toothy mouth. It's very old-world demon imagery, not like a western idea of a fallen angel. This has elements of Chinese and Middle Eastern demon iconography. It looks cool as hell, and scary. Dinah fights him, she uses her canary cry, and Isaac seems to liquefy, but the puddle of black mass just flies away out of the Hall of Mirrors. Dinah pursues, 
and ends up at the courtyard of the ninja cult fortress where she and Vixen escaped back in issue 8. And oddly enough, Vixen is here again with her manager Sandra, who was one of Dinah Drake's friends. The three ladies take on more hordes of the ninja death cultists, until Sandra is struck down by two throwing knives to her leg. The assailant is Dinah's Aunt Rena, who admonishes Dinah, telling her she ruined their opportunity to learn Dinah Drake's secret. Too late, Sandra warns Dinah that the woman in white is not Dinah's aunt. Before she can act, Rena runs Dinah through with a katana. Dinah crumbles to the ground, bleeding to death. Rena and Isaac Arado loom over her, two parts of the same demon. They tell her she's all alone, and that the only way to survive is to find the secret of the Five Heavens Palm buried inside her soul. Vixen and Sandra are captured. Dinah is dying. All hope seems to be lost. But once again, Ditto appears. She crouches down by Donna and whispers, You've never been alone. And that ends the penultimate chapter of Black Canary. I like having Sandy Jarrell's art on the entire issue. I barely registered the differences in inking in the last five pages. I think Wayne Foucher did a solid job of keeping it in line with the rest of the book. Jarrell has done a terrific job on his issue so far. I love the design of the cultists. Their masks are so unnerving. And speaking of that, Isaac Arado is creepy as f***. I know he's supposed to be a rock demon version of Iggy Pop or David Bowie, something like that. They render it masterfully. I mean, as soon as you see him, you're like, oh yeah, dude's a vampire, no doubt. But then he actually turns out to be more than that. He's a demon of the old world, and he looks nasty and scary. It's weird to think of Isaac and Rena as two halves of the same demon, because they have looked and acted nothing alike up to this point. But they're both great villains for Black Canary. They have great iconic looks and they test her in different ways, so I'm really happy with this part of the story. This is the second to last chapter, so it has a specific job to do. It reveals the monster that has been lurking in the shadows. Now we know who has been plaguing Dinah and what they want. And Dinah's in bad shape. Can she recover in time to save her friends and stop this demon? I mean, we'd assume so because she's in rebirth, but like I said at the top, that could be an alien imposter or a clone. Maybe Dinah dies in the next issue. You'll have to read the book to find out, or come back and listen to Power of Fishnets episode 10, which I'm going to try and get out by July 1st. Can't promise that, though. It depends entirely on if I get episode 9 out next week. That will cover part 5 of Zatanna's Search, guest starring Ralph Dibney, the elongated man. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. My overall thoughts are, I liked this issue. I really, really liked it. The action was decent, but not great. I liked the opening. We don't need to see Dinah trashing two dozen ninjas. Just seeing the aftermath was enough. I liked the threat that Isaac Rado's slash Rena slash ancient demon poses. I like that we see how Dinah's father was murdered. That gives the story a real personal stake, as does the nature of Dinah Drake's martial arts technique that's sort of the MacGuffin of this whole thing. I like that Dinah is mostly on her own for this battle. Batgirl stayed in Gotham. Uh, we do get Vixen at the end, and I love seeing Vixen, but I was disappointed this time that we didn't see her using one of her animal abilities. She's running around and fighting, but no outline of a tiger or a rhino or anything. Come on, Sandy, you dropped the ball there. 
He picked it up again during the club scene, though, when Isaac hypnotizes Dinah. That page looked really great. I'll put that page on the Fire and Water website. Overall, issue 11 was better than issue 10 and issue 9 before it. I'm happy with a second story arc, and you'll just have to wait and see how it all comes to a close. When I cover issue 12, I will also do a bit of a series overview, and I'm going to do something that I've wanted to do for months and I keep putting it off. I'm going to discuss the Black Canary LP that DC officially put out. Yes, we have songs from the band, and they're really cool. So come back in a couple weeks for that episode. For now, Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at BlackCanaryFan, or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics. The views expressed on this show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. And since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. That bitch can't